the way to chapter 50, all right? Um, so, I mean, if you want to catch the full story of everything that plays out from here on out, just, you, you got to keep, keep tracking through the rest of the story, and you'll see how it keeps progressing even beyond the character that we're looking at this morning, okay? So uh, I, think you, I think you can handle that. So just 13 extra chapters in your life uh, would be of huge benefit, I think, to us all. So uh, Genesis chapter 37 uh, is where we're going to be at today, and we're going to start in uh, verse 12 in just uh, a moment. Um, have you ever faced adversity? You know what we're talking about when we say adversity, like some of you, like you're going through some serious adversity right now, so like you, you know r- right away what we're talking about. Some of you think of a past experience, there was that time when and th- did this when, um, but I don't think anybody sits here and doesn't understand the concept of adversity. When we hit struggles, when we hit obstacles in our life, here's what I know, um, we all face them. We all have difficulties. And thank the Lord that if you read through the Bible, you will see that great characters of faith in God's Word dealt with significant adversity and difficulties. In fact, I would be honest, in, in comparing the difficulties and the adversities in my life at, di- at different times, there are some characters in this Bible uh, that I hope to never even touch a tenth of what they had to deal with. And yet for many of them, I go, Wow, I would love to have a tenth of the trust and faith that some of these heroes had. But they kept walking through it. And so it's inevitable that we're going to face difficulties as well. Can I just tell you, uh, believers out there, um, the world is not overly interested in how you deal with great times. When things are going like swimmingly and perfect and you're being blessed and life's wonderful, they're not overly interested. In fact, sometimes we're just downright not happy with you when it's going well. We want to take you out back and rough you up. Uh, and we certainly don't want to hear your stories about it, so keep it, keep it quiet. I mean, that, that's how we face it sometimes. But when things are going bad in your life, when difficulties hit you, when things that like, you had nothing to do with and they come out of nowhere hit you, health issues, and on and on. I'm telling you right now, a non-Christian world is taking notice, and they are asking, how does this person who has declared Christianity, how do they deal with this circumstance? How do they walk through it? Hey, as a prep for this, this coming Wednesday, uh, there's a movie that hits theaters. It's called Miracles from Heaven, and I uh, had the opportunity to see the early pastor screening, and I, I just want to encourage you, as, as kind of an appendix to what we're talking about this morning, go see that movie. It comes out on Wednesday, so it's actually a jump start on the weekend, um, but, but catch that movie, and in the, in the, the story of faith is, is pretty significant uh, in there. So, did I give you enough time to get to Genesis chapter 37? We're talking about this character, Joseph. If you know something about Joseph, then great. You'll, you'll kind of track along, and maybe you'll pick up something new. If you don't know anything about him, that's great too, because I'm going to introduce you to this character. Now, if you want to talk about growing up in a weird and dysfunctional home, um, Joseph's got it. It's kind of a, an odd situation. You see, Joseph has 11 brothers. Um, he's got a sister as well. And those are across four different mothers. Um, and they're all kind of living uh, together here. Um, the scriptures actually tell us uh, in, in God's word at the beginning of chapter 37, uh, verse 3, that, that J- Joseph was actually the, his father Jacob's favorite son. I mean, how about that? To be a favorite with that many kids. 
And it actually tells us, in, at least in this story, that because he was a favorite, uh, Jacob actually gave him a special gift, this, this brightly cover, colored coat. You know, Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat you've, you've heard about? In, yeah, like that is what Joseph actually got, some uh, greatly bright colored coat that he was able to wear. Now, this was a big deal because, you know, for us, I'm looking out and I see some colors in clothes right now, but for the most part, it, it would have been kind of just a, a beige tan or just plain dirty robe that they would have worn, and so this to be something of color would have been significant, significant. Would have cost something significant, just the dyes to create it, and that's what he gets. Now, if you're one of 11 brothers and you pick up on the fact that this is dad's favorite son, and you know it's not you, you're not too happy with Joseph. Now, you're probably not too happy with your dad, but you're still hoping to earn some, some connection that, that you don't think is there with your father. So who do you take it out on? Not dad. You take it out on favorite son. Now, some of you, like, you're nodding your head, and you're the ones I know. Um, you've got someone in your family that's the favorite, and you're not it. Um, because, you, you know, you're nodding your head. And, um, yeah, Joseph is that. It causes some issues and dysfunction in the family here. And we find that the Bible actually tells us that his brothers hated him. Now, that's a strong word. There was a time or two in my life when things went a little wrong in my interactions with my brothers, you know, where we were wrestling and it turned into a brawl or things like that where maybe the word hate came out. But I, I know there was never real hate in my heart. And maybe you're saying, well, they probably said it, but they didn't really hate their brother. Let's look at the story. It might have been accurate description of what his brothers felt towards Joseph. So that's kind of the, the intro there. Um, Joseph, we find, uh, has these dreams, and two different dreams, and in both these dreams, the gist is basically this, hey brothers, mom and dad as well, you're going to bow down to me one day. I'm going to be greater than all of you one day. Now, if you're, um, first of all, you're younger, you're the favorite, I want to like you anyway just for that fact, you're walking around that silly colored coat, and now you're, you're going to tell me that you had a dream that you're going to, to boss us around? You're going to be greater than... We're going to bow before you? I mean, those are like straight-out fighting words, right? I mean, you'd not be happy in this situation. We find that this is the only time that even Jacob, his father, rebukes his son for declaring the, the content of these dreams. So, tension's pretty high, and it's rising here. We find, if you pick it up in, in verse 12 of... Genesis uh, chapter 37. It says, Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flock at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep in Shechem. Get ready, and I'll send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph said. Now, that catches me a little bit by surprise. If he's the favorite, I would have expected maybe he would have balked, and, you know, I don't want to go out there. And the reason it catches me is that we need to remember never to read in something into the scripture that's not actually there. I've heard many a times these, uh, the word about Joseph being a whiny, spoiled little brat, but we don't necessarily get that story in scripture. What we do know is he was the favorite, and he was hated because of it, and it was his father that set this whole scenario up 
in the first place. Now, the question may be there, well, why wasn't Joseph out working in the first place? Well, he was one of the younger uh, of the brothers here. Maybe there was a task at home that he was being, having, having to attend to. But either way, he says, I'm ready to go. Go and see how your brothers in the flock are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from his home in the valley of Hebron. This is about a 15-mile journey. Now, for us, that's like nothing. Shoot over to Kernersville, get in your car, you're there in 12 minutes, right? Um, but if you're walking, and uh, probably not just like going out on a walk where you put your, you know, your headphones on and listen to music. I mean, you've you got to take some supplies. Uh, this 15 miles is a pretty significant journey for him to head out for. So he heads that way. When he's arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside looking for his brothers. What are you looking for? He asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they're pasturing their sheep? The man says, yes, uh, they have moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go on to Dotham. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dotham and found them there. Another 15-mile journey from there. So Joseph's putting in some, some significant time to go out and to find his brothers there. He seems to be pretty diligent in his task. He could have got to Shechem. He could have found out, yeah, they're not there. I'm going to head back. Dad, I was there. I couldn't find them. I don't know where they're at. But he goes on pretty diligent in his task. We'll see that this absolutely matches the character of Joseph later on in his life. So it says in verse 18, this is where it starts to take a turn. When his brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. I don't know, maybe they saw this colored coat coming their way and knew right away that uh, here comes that dreamer. And that's what they say. Verse 19, here comes the dreamer. They said, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns. A cistern would just in a place it could get uh, uh, water at. Then we'll tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Can you sense and and pick up on the bitterness that these brothers had? Now, I said hate to my brothers a couple times. Um, Sometimes it was through the door after I had ran from them and locked myself in the bathroom out of fear because they were both here, and I still in my life am here. Um, But I never plotted to kill my brothers, throw them in a ditch somewhere, and make up a story about wild animals. These guys were serious about their frustration and their hate for their brother here. We find out in verse uh, 21, but Reuben uh, heard of this scheme. He came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him in the empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our our laying hands on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So um, I've heard it said a couple different ways on what, what Reuben's true intent and where Reuben was really at here. It seems like if you take the scripture at its word, Reuben didn't quite go along with this plan and was scheming in some way to actually rescue and protect Joseph. We find that that's not uh, exactly what happened. Verse 23, uh, so when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. I mean, that robe, that was it. That was the symbol, uh, right, of the favoriteness. That was the symbol that they hated the most. So, of course, they ripped that off right away. Then they grabbed him, they threw him into the cistern. Now, the cistern was empty. There's no water in it. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a cavern of camels in the distance coming towards them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum balm and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Now, this is significant because 
Dotham was actually on this route that they were traveling to get to Egypt. It was just part of the main route that, that travelers and traders would have gone on. Had they been in Shechem grazing their, their flocks, they wouldn't have gone through, they wouldn't have seen this group coming through, this group of traders. And so they wouldn't have looked up and said, hey, here's the plan we have, and it might have cost Joseph his life. But they come up with this plan here. Uh, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brothers? We'd, we'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to the Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brothers, our own flesh and blood. Well, that's kind of nice of him, isn't it? I mean, let's not kill him. He, I mean, he, he's actually our brother, flesh and blood. So let's just sell him into slavery instead, and, uh, and we'll go back and make up a story uh, with Dad. So, yeah, super kind of, of Judah there. So when the Israelites, they were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the system and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Now, think about it for just a second when we talk about adversity. Here you are at, you live in a wealthy family with lots of kids and flocks, lots of tasks to be done. You're the favorite in a wealthy family of many kids. You've been given uh, a great gift that even shows that. And all of a sudden, one day, all of that changes. And the next thing you know, you are a slave and you're bound and you're heading to a far-off place to do whatever you're going to have to do. You have no idea at that time. How's that for adversity? You know life can change in a blink. Just like that, life can change. You get the phone call one day, and somebody you know has been in a car accident, and things change just like that. One test at the doctor's office can change your life completely. One day, just one conversation, one post, one text, one email, and things can change entirely. And that's what's happened to Joseph here. It's totally different. You see, sometimes when I read stories like this, and if I'm not too careful, and you may do the same, it's so easy for me to just read this and not read it like, I mean, this is real life. This is how life hits us all at times. That things can be going along and they're working out uh, quite well. I'm, I'm living in my home and I, I'm, I'm able to pay for it. And then things are going well. And then Monday morning your boss says to you, Hey, uh, by the way, your division is going to be shut down in about three weeks. And uh, we've we got to let everybody go. And there you are sitting, Man, I'm 52 years old. I've got to start over in my job world. You see, that's what's going on with Joseph. Immediate immediate adversity in his life. Immediate difficulty from none other than maybe his brother's not liking to him. Seems to be pretty protected by Jacob, though. To heavy adversity. We find here, as the story goes on, that Reuben returns to get Joseph out of the cistern. That was his job, remember, that he, his scheme he put together. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, the boy is gone, what will we do now? The brothers don't seem to to, uh, tell him the story. They just say, then the brothers killed a a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in the blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message, look at what we found, doesn't this robe belong to your son? 
Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe, and a wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph was clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning my son, he would say, and then he would weep. I find it interesting that in watching your father grieve in this level, none of his other sons ever at some point just said, all right, dad, I need to tell you the truth. I need to tell you the full story and came clean, but they don't. In fact, we're even told they comforted him without revealing to him the truth. Deceit, even. So he mourns. Meanwhile, we find out in verse 36, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an uh, officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. That's where this part of the story ends. I want to encourage you to pick up the rest in starting in verse 30, or chapter 38 and just read on and catch what happens. Let me give you a preview. Here's what you're going to find for sure. You're going to find a guy who is incredibly faithful to the Lord throughout his entire story. It'll be horrible things that'll happen to him. A rise to success in a foreign land, which shouldn't have happened, and then jailed. A rise to success in a place of honor within a jail, which shouldn't have happened, and then forgotten. More days in the jail. And then eventually elevated to the second highest place in the entire kingdom of Egypt to a day where his father and sons come to him looking for help during a horrible drought. That's your overview. I encourage you to read that and pick up on the faithfulness of Joseph. The question this morning, though, is what do you do when you find yourself in adversity like this? I mean, what, what do you do? And for Joseph, I mean, it would have been understandable if he had now started to lament. And we know in God's word, we actually have a third of the book of Psalm is laments, cries out to God, why is this happening? Where are you, God? We actually have a whole book called the book of Lamentations, where it's nearly filled with laments. You can call them complaints if you want. But they're saying, God, this is my heart, and I don't understand what you're doing, and I'm going to put it on paper. Um, And we actually find that's in God's word. But we don't find that with Joseph. Now, we might read into it. We might say, well, Joseph is, you know, I mean, he's like anybody else. Surely he struggled. Surely he has a hard time. Surely he looked at God and said, God, what in the world are you doing? I'm angry with you. I'm frustrated with you. Possible. But that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God just tells us that he was faithful in each of the situations. In fact, we find that with him, not only was he faithful, but he made the most out of each situation, and it became for his good. There's a passage uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, 10.31 that's kind of a famous passage if you're around the church much, but let me just share it and highlight it here. It's in your notes. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now, I don't know about you, but I think when I read a passage like that, my first thought is say, well, God will not let you be tempted by sin to do something wrong, something sinful. He won't give you more temptation that you can handle, and I think that that would be accurate and true to God's word. But as I looked at Joseph's story and I read that, I, I think God, 
I think about the times when I'm in adverse situations. I'm in difficulty. Things come my way that I didn't choose and I didn't ask for, and yet they're there and I have to live through it, where my temptation is to complain to God. My temptation is to say, why God, and to then camp out there. I'm not sure there's anything wrong with saying, why God, but we want to be really careful where we, where we set up our home. And I think the temptation is to just set it up. In fact, the temptation, if I'm not careful, is to say, well, maybe this whole Christianity and God thing doesn't work to begin with. Maybe I've been spinning my wheels for all these years and I've just been enjoying being in a church where people are friendly and I get to eat donuts and the, and the music's pretty good and every once in a while the pastor's okay. And, and I, but when I really get down to it, this Christianity thing may not really work. That's the temptation there. And you know what God is saying? When you're in difficulty, when you're adversity, you'll never have more adversity than, than you can endure and overcome. You'll never have enough adversity that will break you unless you've chosen that route over staying faithful and just trusting God's plan and God's path. So this morning, I, I want to talk about four keys to overcoming uh, adversity. And, and I, as we work these in, uh, um, I want to I talk from a personal standpoint. I want to talk from a corporate standpoint on how we deal with these, and each of us individually as well deal with adversity. Here's the, the key points this morning. Number one, prosperity is temporary, so be thankful. Did you know that in your life? Prosperity is temporary. Now, I worked in college athletics for a number of years, and I saw this pattern a lot. Get out of college, graduate, excitement, get your diploma, right? Celebration. You go out and you get that first job, right? Maybe you get it three months or so later. In fact, my early coaching days, I saw that a lot. My later coaching days, it seemed to be jobs weren't quite as available. But let's say the job came pretty quick, and then this is what I saw. Expenses. Car. Uh, Other things. Money started being spent just like that. And then you find out along the way, oh man, I didn't really like that job very much, that first job. I just got into it because it was my first job. I'll move on to another job. And it's not as easy to get that second job. Or the first job didn't work out uh, very well. They hired, you know, 800 of you and they decided to only keep 18. Um, And you're looking for another job. But expenses didn't go away. The car loan didn't go away and those type of things and you're stuck. Now, I saw it on the college level. It just happens in life in general for us. If we're not careful, what we do is when things are going well, we say, well, I I can now do this, and sometimes we get stuck. See, what we really need to make sure we understand is that prosperity is often, it's temporary. It's seasonal in our lives. There's times of great growth, and, and, and you could say financial prosperity, or just just good times. Things are going well. There's peace in our life. There's no controversy or adversity. Those are temporary in our life, and we want to be thankful for them, to thank God. You see, when we're thankful for them, I think it sets our heart in a way where we understand this is a gift of God. This has come from God. Not everybody's experiencing that today, what I'm dealing with. So we need to be thankful for that. John says, for the fullness of grace, we have all received one blessing after another. To understand that this is a gift of God, the grace of God, that 
we have these blessings in our life. Philippians 4, 12 through 13, we read a little bit of it last week. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You can see where Paul's focus is on that. It's in God when it's good and when it's tough. So prosperity is temporary. We need to be thankful for that. Here's the next thing. Here's the truth. Adversity is inevitable, so we've got to be prepared. It's inevitable. I can tell you right now, if life is going swimmingly for you, buckle up. It's coming. It's just how life is. Adversity comes our way. Can I tell you a a little story in our, our own life? Two weeks ago, less than two weeks ago at this point, we get a little note that says, Oh, by the way, 2012 taxes, you owe us $1,800. Like, what? Yikes. Apparently, the taxes weren't done correctly. And, uh, and now, we, we have now learned about it. And I'm going to tell you, that was like a little punch to the gut there. That's adversity. Because we deal with that in life. It's just how life goes. Now, it doesn't does mean I'm happy about it. I didn't call up the IRS and say, hey, really, thank you. I'm... I am really happy to fund you. Um, no, of course not. But, you know, it's immediate going and saying, okay, Lord, how will you provide? How will we take care of this? How will we do this? And the Lord just presents a plan, and we will through it. That's life. That's how it gets. If $1,800 bill is the worst that, that adversity that's going to be thrown my way, I'm going to praise God significantly. But it doesn't matter. The principle is the same. Adversity comes. Things will happen. It is inevitable. We have to be prepared for these things. So uh, often in life, and I just listened to a program last, uh, yesterday driving the car, we talk about financial preparation and how we prepare financially. And we do Dave Ramsey courses here that help along the way. But you know what? We forget sometimes we need to prepare our heart and our faith and our trust as well. That when you wake up in the morning and you work through God's word and devotion and you're reading it and you're letting God speak into you, that every day what you're actually doing is you're preparing your heart for future adversity. When you read God's word and you walk through the story of Joseph, and I hope you do this week, and you read of his faithfulness, you're preparing your heart for adversity. And it's gonna come. It's gonna get there in your life. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now that doesn't sound like fun. If we're going to live a godly life, we're going to be persecuted. Uh, In some way, shape, or form, it happens. John 16 says, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, is what's written there. Number three, uh, effort is essential, so don't give up. I would love to tell you this morning that the, the adage that whatever you're going through, it's only going to make you stronger. The truth of the matter is, that's not always the case. It's not always the case. It can, but I have watched people that go through adversity. I've watched people that walk through things that, at least from my viewpoint, I've thought, that's not too terrible. You could make it through that. And I've watched them crumble. I've watched people that have faced just the ounce of difficulty in their marriage, and they've decided, you know, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm moving on. Let's wrap this up. It doesn't always help us grow unless we allow it to. 
unless we choose not to give up on the difficulty. Galatians 6, 9, I like this verse, says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I'm telling you, every marriage that is struggling can be redeemed and restored into prosperity in that marriage if you allow it to. Now, it takes two people working hard, following God, and being humble before God, but every marriage can. Every difficulty you have with your kid can be restored if you allow it. Every financial hardship you're walking through right now, it has a path. There is an avenue to restoration in that area. But so often, we don't find that because we give up. We just let go, and we're done. Joseph, in any one of his situations that you're going to read about this week, he could have just said, I'm done. And he never would have realized the position God had for him in the kingdom in the end. Hebrews 10 says this, You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. I kind of like it the other way, to be honest. I'd like to receive what God has promised, and then I'll go out and do the will of God. I mean, that, to me, that's much easier if I could do it that way. But God's word says, no, go out and do my will, and you'll receive the result, which will be what I have promised. Little phrase in there is setbacks can be setups if you let God handle them. I want to tell you, church family, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through this week, whatever hardships you're facing, health-related, home, financial, whatever it is, don't give up. You've got to stand strong. See, this is the time where rubber meets the road with your faith. And if we're believers in the body of Christ and we claim Christ, can I just say, what are we really claiming if we give up? What is it that we're claiming? I was about to say at first a church building, but we're in a school right now. So what are we claiming? Our, our church buildings, our songs that we sing, uh, the coolness of our services. Um, what is it that we are really claiming if we give up in times of adversity? That's what the world wants to know. When we claim Christ, it can be your cliche or it can be your power. So just over the last two weeks, I've had two conversations with men who are going through difficult times, and I'm happy to say with both of them, they are full-fledged, not giving up and and not giving in to this adversity, and they're standing strong, and I'm proud of both of them. But the the conversation I had with both of them was this, I'm I'm your pastor, I can rattle off 10 Christian cliches for you right now, if, if you'd like. Kind of that pep you up, make you feel good cliches. I can just roll them out. But you are both men who know God's word. So get in there, reread what you know you need to reread, and stand and claim that promise with, uh, uh, for yourself, for your family, and, and walk through your adversity claiming those promises. I see that out of both of those guys. I'm pretty excited about that. Number four, it says, God is faithful, so you be faithful. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. We find Isaiah. And when you pass through the rivers, they'll not sweep over you. And when you go through fire, you'll not get burned. Now, this is talking about an isolated situation with Isaiah, but that's the truth of God we find in the Word. That you're going to face adversity and difficulties, but it will not do you in. It will not take you out. You, you can handle it. You can walk through it. 
and I will be faithful to you. First Peter says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I love that God's word never beats around the bush about adversity. It never lets you think that everything's going to be uh, easy and rosy in your life, but you're going to have to deal with things and work through them. But I'm more excited that God's word says that I have a power that I impart on you that you will overcome. So be faithful. Can I just tell you um, this morning, when we go through adversity, oftentimes we fall. That's the moment in our life where we, we just, we fall. We struggle with our faith. We give, a, give up our faith for that instance. We let it just overwhelm us. And sometimes we like to say a little phrase, something like, well, you know, I mean, it just, it just got me, I'm, you know, I am human after all. Can I just remind you, church, this morning, when it comes to how you deal with adversity and what's available to you, can I just tell you, you are not just human, that you are a child of the living God, and that you're called to live a life of holiness and to live a life to advance his kingdom, and you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that so that you never have to walk it on your own. That's not just simply human. That's God created, designed with a purpose and empowered. And so I call on you, grab hold of that. Be faithful to that and see if God does not provide and see if you cannot claim his promises even in the midst of adversity. Here's the takeaway this morning. Where has adversity, adversity halted you in your calling? Where has it halted you? You know, I'm called to do this. I want to go impact my world. We talked about it last week. But adversity has halted me in this area. It's difficulty. I want to take a moment just to pray for you. And then I want to give you a little update uh, on our building uh, situation and where we're at and where we're headed here. But let me pray with you on this specifically, because my guess would be this morning that some of you are really tracking through adverse situations. Some of you, you need a job, you just, you you need financial assistance, your, your health is hurting, your relationships are declining, and this is the morning that you can claim it. You can claim before God. So let me pray for you. Father, I want to lift up every single person in here that is going through adversity. It may be every person we're talking about, Lord. On some level right now, we're going through it. Father, I just want to ask, Father, that you would provide. Lord, that you are God who says you will walk with us and you will bring us through the other side. So, Lord, we're asking in your name right now that you would bring us through, that we would claim that promise before you. But, Lord, even more significant than that, Lord, I'm asking for faithfulness for the saints here. I'm asking faithfulness for the body of believers here that that we would claim you and say, it is when I put my faith in action, even in the midst of adversity, that I sense and I see your power. And Lord, as we've talked about here before, that, that I would just get up and keep moving in the direction of obedience and trust and know that your power and that you will intervene along the way. Lord, may we claim that own that and believe in that today. Lord, it may be that somebody is here today and and they don't know you as their Savior. They've never said yes to you and received you into their life. 
And so, Lord, they don't have this frame of reference on how to deal with it. Lord, would you convince them this morning that this is what is available to them in a walk with Jesus Christ? And if that's you and this would be the morning, you can just simply say, Lord, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I want to live for you. And a heartfelt, simple prayer like that. And the Lord, in an instant, you are his child. So, Lord, we give you praise for a simple story like Joseph. And pray it would be an influence on us all week as we read it. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I want to talk to you just briefly uh, about kind of where we're at with the building. You have on your seat, you have um, a drawing that's got the floor plan on one side and the civil uh, plan, the site design on the other side. And then we have a somewhat of a rendition of it up here on the stage as well. Um, where we are at currently is uh, we're done with the permitting process. All of that is complete and done, and it's all been, been approved. Um, we've paid in cash for everything up to this point uh, in the building. So we owe on nothing, uh, and we've not borrowed other than the land. We've not borrowed on anything to get to this point, and that puts us at about $59,000 spent uh, on the building at this point and on everything to get ready for ground to, to be moved. Um, a week and a half ago, about a week ago, I should say more accurately, the, all the, the bidding, bids went out to the different subcontractors, and so we're awaiting some of the results of that so that we can set a complete final budget. Our lending institution, as I told you last week, the initial uh, kind of preliminary budget, they asked us to look at trying to shave $70,000 off that. So we went to work at that and, uh, and shaved where we could. And in the bidding process, we specifically uh, worked this bidding process to, with that understanding as well that we're, we're looking to shave some of that. Uh, our hope is not to change anything that you're looking at on paper. Um, so when that all comes back, we'll have that completed budget, and it's at that point that we will go back to the, the Westland Investment Foundation and finish off our funding uh, for that. Uh, as I told you uh, up in this process that the board had said, we, we do not want to borrow more than $900,000 uh, for the remainder of this project. And so that is w- what our plan is, that is our cap, and that is because that is a building that we can afford now. And we have decided that if we get into a building we can afford now and the Lord so blesses the growth and there's additional finances, then that money will just go to paying off the building and go to ministry. Um, but at, at this juncture, we, didn't want, we did not want to build a building where we had to come to you and then say, we're going to have a 50% increase in our budget or 60% increase. Um, and that sounds far-fetched, um, but I've walked through it with a church before that, that had that. And uh, within two years, it was very difficult to pay the bills. So we're looking at paying something or doing something we can do now. So we're pretty excited about where we're at in the process here. We wanted to make sure you saw that there. But in light of what we just, what I just preached to you about, can I just not tell you, adversity, obstacles we talked about last week, will hit us in this process. It just will happen. Um, already it's been harder to work through the steps to get all of the stuff ready to move dirt than we expect it would be. 
we didn't pay any more than we expected, but the time frame took longer, being a property that sits in a county but has some Jamestown interest, some Greensboro interest, and some High Point interest right in that kind of no man's land. It just took more meetings than we would have hoped, and, uh, and we got bumped off a couple agendas, and once a month meetings just kept backing it up. Um, that's obstacles. Uh, I don't think those were too difficult to walk through, but, but uh, just expect those type of things will come to us and they'll be in front of us. And I was thinking about, in God's Word, there's times where people face adversity or obstacles or slowdowns and those type of things. And in God's Word, they're often attached to years and years and years of those kind of things. Um, so to wait a couple more months for us is, is probably not killing us too much. Let me tell you the joy of waiting a little bit uh, longer. Every month, if you are faithful to your building pledge, we bring in about $6,000 every month. That's $6,000 cash that we don't borrow every month to pay for things. Um, So when I say what we've paid cash to everything up till now, we've paid cash because you one-time gift as well, and we've paid cash because you're staying current on your building pledge. Um, Finally, I want to tell you, as we talked about last week, some of you are new with us. You weren't here when we launched our whole building campaign, but you've now said, this is my church home. This is where I want to plug in. Um, And I want to encourage you, uh, if the Lord has at all put on your heart that, that, hey, this is your family now, and you want to join into this building campaign, and you want to know how this works, please just go to the welcome table, and Anson can walk you through that. If you are with us, and it was just a time in your life where you're like, God, I just don't know if I can step out and do that at this time. And that kind of passed you by. But you know now God has said, hey, you need to be a part of this as well. Then, uh, again, go back to the welcome table, grab one of the little pamphlets to talk about that, and, and you can start a, a campaign or a pledge now if you so desire. So that's kind of where we're at. If you have any additional questions, uh, any board member, is, can walk you through uh, where we're at and, and what's going on there. So by, by all means, just grab one of them and ask them. Um, anything I know, they know uh, as well. So, so happy to do that. So I see board members pointing to other board members. No, they're coming to you as well. So, all right, wonderful. Well, I'm going to invite uh, uh, Pastor Anson if he'll come up and he'll uh, share a couple final things with you. And uh, then you have a blessed afternoon.